You can flip over to Matthew 3, 1 through 17 this morning. And I have, before we ever get started, I have to confess that I had one of those sermons ready for this morning that would have, been, would have gotten, probably gotten an A in my preaching class in seminary. And then last night, felt like God said, that's not the one. So what you get more today is a lot more of confession on my part and less instruction. And so when you hear me talking, you hear me sharing, know that most of it's pointed at me and I hope that you'll be able to grab something from this as well um, and, and just hear me, just what I'm struggling with right now. I'm not doing Nehemiah, Nehemiah David will do Nehemiah next week and finish that. But just something I've been wrestling with for the last six or eight weeks that's kind of, it's, it's weird to me because it's not something I've ever really want, cared about, honestly, and that's reputation. I was a high school basketball coach for 14 years, and you know doing that, that if you're a good coach, half the people hate you and half the people like you, just the way it is. So you get, if you cared about your reputation doing that, you were miserable all the time. And so you learn to get tough skin, you learn to get thick skin, and you learn to not care what other people think about you. But I found myself over the last six weeks, that perspective changing about me when it comes to, comes to church. It comes to my position here as a youth pastor. It comes to my position um, as somebody who was noticed as, a, as someone that works in the church in the community. And it started about six weeks ago when I decided, finally made a pretty firm commitment that I was going to go get a tattoo. Weird, right? I thought about it literally for 11 years, the same tattoo. So I thought it all the way through, right? <laughs> Considered all the things, thought about all the things, and I finally decided I'm going to go. And so Autumn, who was up here just a minute ago, and Jim Cagle and I, we went to the tattoo parlor, the three of us. And I knew I was in trouble because whatever Autumn does is always on Instagram, so I knew I was going to be on there. <laughs> I knew that was going to be a problem for me. So I go in, but I find myself going into the tattoo parlor going, like looking around going, I hope nobody from church drives by right now. <laughs> and I actually, just to be in full honesty, I did, I hid it from my mom until this past week. Uh, and I know how she feels about it. But I thought about this for a minute. I was like, man, I really hope that this is not a place I'm supposed to be in. I'm supposed to go. I hope nobody drives by and sees me. And I'm really kind of worked up about it. I get stressed out about that. And I go in, and I was fidgety, and I was nervous, and we finally get called back. And this guy comes and says, I'll be doing your tattoo. And we go back in the room, and he's got, Bo told me to say the word. I don't feel comfortable saying it, but he had a word on his forehead. It's not appropriate for church. We'll go with that. <laughs> Tattooed across him. And so he sits me down. He's like, all right, we're going to do this. He's like, what language is this? And I said, Greek. And he said, what does it mean? And I said, well... You're not going to be fond of this because I can tell on your forehead. Um, it's, like, it's like the easiest evangelism. You know how somebody's going to respond because it's literally written there. And I said, it says, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. And you see him go. <sighs> and so he's like, why are you putting this on your arm? Why are you doing this? What's your point? Why, why, what's the whole deal? And I was like, I don't know, I've just been thinking about it for a long time and decided I wanted to do it, and I've seen it in a lot of different places, and there's a, hist there's a history behind this phrase, this motto of the early church, and I just want to, 
just, I don't know, I just want to proclaim it. And he said, well, why do you believe this stuff? And so a 10-minute tattoo turned into a 30-minute gospel presentation to this guy who had the words on his head that he was not, a, not for it. And I got to share the entirety of the gospel with him sitting in this chair. Now, what happened with it? I don't know. That's above my pay grade. We'll let God work on that part. But it gave me the opportunity to share it. And going into it, I was reluctant. I was nervous because I was scared of the reputation that might be attached to me walking into this place. So that's what I've been wrestling with, is reputation. So I had this whole sermon all about that. And then yesterday, I did what I always do on Saturdays. I sit at a baseball field every Saturday. I'm sitting in a chair and this guy walks up to me. He says, hey, what does that say on your arm? So again, I tell him, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. He goes, oh, you're a believer. I said, yep. And he goes, me too. And we start talking about church and he asked me about my church and I asked him about his church. And he was like, man, you're one of those like, like crazy radical believers, right? I was like, I don't, I don't think so. I don't really know what that means. I just love Jesus and I guess I wanted people to wear it on my body. And he said, well, I love Jesus too. He said, but just a little bit of it. It's like, what, do you, what does that even mean? He said, I'm the guy that likes to go into church a few minutes late, sit in the back and sneak out a few minutes early because I like to get just enough Jesus to get me through. He said, you're one of those guys that actually tries to do the stuff that it says. And I was really thankful that my wife wasn't there at the moment to point out all the things I don't do. Because <laughs> he had a bad misconception of who I am and what I am. But it got me thinking, radical Christian. What does it even mean? What is the idea of it? Why is that even a word, actually? Does, like, shouldn't it just be follower of Jesus and leave it at that? And just doing that in itself makes it radical. And so I thought about it, and I prayed about it, and I was like, God, I don't want to talk about this. I'm done. I finished my sermon on Thursday. I'm good to go. It's just now it's just kind of waiting time. And I just felt like he kept pressing me, saying, no, we got to dig into this whole idea that there's something different about, that there's different levels of being a Christian. And so I started praying and thinking and said, so who, give me an example of somebody radical that I can point to in Scripture and say, this is what it looks like. And he gave me two, and obviously one of those is Jesus. And we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus' ministry. But the one that really stuck with me, who didn't care much about reputation, who didn't care what other people thought, who didn't care how he looked even, is John the Baptist. So we're going to read just for a few minutes uh, from chapter 3 in Matthew 1 through 17. This is a, a little bit about John's ministry. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight, for, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea, the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. 
But when he saw the, many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not think you can say yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good, good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for, the repent, for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with the unquenchable fire. So we've got this guy, John the Baptist, who one is out in the desert. Not your ideal place to start a ministry out by yourself in the middle of barren wasteland, but that's where he starts this thing. And he doesn't have anything that would bring people to him. He's dressed in camel hair, a leather belt. He eats bugs and he eats wild honey. I have this picture in my head of John the Baptist just being covered with hair, like looking like a bear actually, with this beard and hair longer than mine and just everywhere <laughs> that, that he's just covered with stuff, right? He probably smells bad, all of the above, yet he's out there in this wilderness and he's preaching to people not, hey, God is love and God loves you, but he's standing up there saying, repent because you're terrible people. So he's in the desert, not a good place people want to go. He smells bad, he looks weird, and, and he's also saying things that probably aren't popular for people. They're not like, I don't feel like I would be lined up to hear what he had to say. But yet people are coming from all over the Jordan and coming from Jerusalem to hear John tell them the kingdom is near. You should pray. You should fast. You have to repent because the kingdom is coming. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees hear the same thing. These are the religious people of the time. They know the law. John's an expert too. Like John was probably in one of those wilderness communities where they strictly observed the law and just every aspect of the law. But here come the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they've got it all figured out, at least in their heads. They probably have it memorized. They probably could quote it word for word from start to finish. These are the most studious, the best scholars of the law. And John starts out with not, hey, welcome these, these, these intelligent religious people. He calls them this brood of vipers. He says, you may have the law basically on your head, but you don't have any of it in your heart. And so repent now because the, the time's at hand. So again, Nothing really encouraging. Like if you're coming for an encouraging message, John, not the guy. He's telling you what to do because the kingdom of God is at hand and the kingdom of God is near. But his message is pretty simple. Repent. Turn away. It's the same message that Jesus gives. When Jesus comes, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is near or the kingdom of God has come, he doesn't give you this list of laws to keep. He tells us, love people, love God, love people. He encourages them. While John is out in the desert eating locusts and fasting, Jesus is going to weddings and turning water into wine. But the message is the same, repent. 
One does it from a celebratory aspect and one does it from a, almost like a funeral aspect. But again, the message is the same. And the message cost both of them. Not just in the end, we know that John the Baptist eventually is beheaded and we know Jesus is going to go to the cross and be raised again. But it also impacts them and affects them in the moment of their ministries. The end is coming from, they both pretty much expect what's going to happen at the end. Jesus knows, John expects it. But there's impact that happens in the moment as they're ministering. Luke 7, 31 says this, 31 through 37. Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say here's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Same message of repentance, different styles, both of which are rejected. Jesus gives us this metaphor of kids out playing and offering two games, and the kid's saying, I don't want either of those. What that passage is saying is that we gave you a funeral, that's the dirge, right? And we gave you a party, that's the pipe, and you said no. And then you actually twisted this invitation into relationship and into repentance, and you turned it on us and said, you're demon-possessed, and you are a drunkard, a glutton, and a friend of sinners. John, one of the most radical followers of God, is labeled a demon-possessed man. And Jesus, the Son of God, is labeled the, the example of a sinner. And I, personally, do everything possible to get neither label. And what I wonder, is that what characterizes me not as a radical believer in Jesus? See, the problem I think we run into that all of us have some type of impact or some type of influence under is that we look at our world and we say, sometimes this is just too much for me to actually engage in. And so we hide, kind of like John the Baptist in the wilderness, expecting people to come out to us. And sometimes we're like, yeah, we can fix this and we'll go out and we go out like Jesus, but we're not connected in a way that maintains our holiness as we go. Both of these are valid expressions of the kingdom of God as long as they're held in balance. But I think that we're prevented from, from even stepping into either one of those places. I should say it this way. I know that I'm prevented from stepping into either one of those places because one, fear. I was fearful of people noticing me outside of a tattoo parlor and I had the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. I'm fearful for what it might cost me if I say, yes, Lord, give me all of you. I'm fearful what it might cost my kids. I've got good plans for my children. They got to go, to, they got to finish high school. They got to make straight A's. They got to go to college. They got to get a good job. They got to make plenty of money. They got to be comfortable and secure. I fear them not doing that. And it's weird because I know in my head safety and security doesn't come from the amount of money I make, but it only comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit every single day. Not a one-time encounter, but a daily breathing in and breathing out of the Holy Spirit. 
The other thing that prevents me from stepping into it a lot of time is this feeling of spiritual dryness. Feel like the Lord gives me this idea and I take off running with it and then I just get worn out, poured out and used up. And I'm like, God, you told me to do this. And he said, yeah, but I'm over here. You got disconnected from the source. And so I try to do things in my own power, in my own authority. And when I get separated from that, it's odd how every time it fails. You would think I would learn at some point that that's not the case. That failure, is, excuse me, success is simply obedience and connection to the Father. And I can't do any of those things, again, if I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in, in John 7, 37, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Not fill up your tank and come back when you're thirsty later. It's a continual, continue to drink idea. It's not, I'm going to come back and get filled up. But David gave the analogy a few weeks ago of, of the, being filled with the Spirit like a gas tank. Sometimes we fill the gas tank up and we run it out of gas. And by the time we get to the end, we're out and we're looking around for the Lord. And then we get filled back up again. Instead of it being like breathing, that every breath that I take, I acknowledge that I submit and I give up and I allow him to fill me each and every time. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Spirit. And that word filled there, the meaning of it is like someone who is filled with food. Y'all know what it's like to eat too much? I mean, I do. When we eat too much, we know we've eaten too much. And we feel full. And that's what that word re is referencing. It's being filled with the Spirit till we're filled too much. And that's when we start to see revival happen is when the word radical Christian ceases to exist and follower of Jesus is just implied that you're radical compared to everybody else in the world. D.L. Moody, some of y'all know who he is. He was, a, he was a pastor in the 19th century, a big part of the Second Great Awakening in the United States. And he was preaching this sermon in Chicago and he's, hundreds of people are coming forward to accept Jesus. And as the, as the service is over, these two ladies come up to him and say, Pastor Moody, we're praying for you. And his initial response was, what are you doing praying for me? Did you not just see what I did? He said, why are you praying for me? He gets, he gets upset with them. He's like, who are you to be praying for me? And they both look at him and say, you look tired, you look worn out, and we're, we pray that you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it makes him even angrier to the point where he's like, what are you talking about? And then finally, he, he resists all of those reactions, and he looks at the ladies and says, how about instead of you praying for me, that we pray together that I'll be filled with the Spirit? A few weeks later, he's walking around in New York City, and God answered that prayer and he had to find a friend's house and he goes in and he goes in this room and he becomes so filled with the spirit. He stays in there all day and God just keeps pouring more and more on him to the point he says, God, you have to stop because I'm going to die of the joy that I'm receiving right now. That filling of the Holy Spirit allowed him to preach with power from that point on. He preached effectively before. But preaching effectively and preaching with power are two different things. And the Holy Spirit began to speak through him. And thousands and thousands of people became, started coming to the Lord. And I think that's what starts revival for us. The Holy Spirit in us saves us. The Holy Spirit on us moves us into action, into our communities. 
Our, our actions don't save us. We know that we are, we are saved by faith and faith alone. Put that, check that box, we're there. But there's more to our faith than just checking the box and getting to go to heaven. When the Holy Spirit comes on us, we're able to move out into our communities and we're able to engage people who we've never been able to engage and love people who are really hard to love and not be scared of what other people think and never run out. We never run out of that, of that Holy Spirit when we continually and constantly are filled with him. It's not a one-time event that we did once where we walked forward and we were baptized. It's not a singular item that we look back to or singular event that we look back to, but it's a constant daily routine of engaging the Holy Spirit and being filled up. Not just in the morning when we wake up and not just at night before we go to bed, but it's a lifestyle of being in communication, a relation, a covenantal relationship that goes throughout the day. And for me, one of the things that I have to confess this morning is that's not something I've ever asked for. It's not something that I've ever said yes to because I've been scared and I've been worn out. And I asked myself in preparing for this morning, what would it be like if I, have de- if I would decide to be filled daily with the Spirit? What would the youth ministry look like here at Stonebridge Church if I decide to be filled daily? One of the things, it, w- it wouldn't look like losing the battle of discipleship with Instagram and TikTok. They would be looking to the church and to the people in the church to disciple them instead of finding what the next great influencer has to say and and getting their value and their worth from those people online. It would be people receiving their value and their worth from Jesus and from the Holy Spirit if we just ask for him to give it to us. I don't know about you, but I complicate it. I have this elaborate prayer that I have to go through and have to say it all out and do it all the right way. And then I expect God to move. And really what he's saying is just ask and keep asking. And he says in scripture, I'll fill and keep filling. But if if I'm going to try to do this on my own, I'm going to fail over and over again. And I don't know about you. I don't know how many of you feel like you're in that same boat. But I feel like it's a constant battle for me. That I allow... Jesus into places that I'm comfortable with him with in and I exclude him from places. My life becomes compartmentalized. Jesus, you have my life at church and Jesus, you have my life here, but stay out of this room, stay out of this room and stay out of this room. Leave my kids alone. I know better than you for them. Leave where I'm supposed to go. I know better than you than them. Don't let... I know better what sin is. I got this. Don't, I don't want to listen to what you have to say in that either. And this morning, just in full confession to all of you, is I want God to fill me up in all the places. I want all the walls knocked down this morning. I want him to fill me to the point where I have to ask him to stop or I'm just going to die from the joy that, that he creates in my life. I'm going to ask Bo to come back up. And we're going to close this way this morning. We're going to open the front. If you want to come and pray, and be, you can kneel here. There'll be people up here to pray for you as well. There's three groups I want to pray for this morning. 
If you're sitting in your seat going, what is he talking about? What does this even mean? We want to pray that God will reveal himself to you. If you're there and you're like, I'm, I'm just kind of walking through. You've never really submitted and said, Lord, I'm yours. Fill me up. We want to pray for you this morning that you'll allow him to fill you. That you'll overflow. And the third group we want to pray for this morning is if you feel like I've been, I said yes initially and I started running, but I'm dried up. I'm beat down. I'm disconnected from the source of living water. We want to pray for you this morning that you'll come and drink. So if you would go ahead and stand with me, I'm going to pray and just come forward as God leads you. Jesus, we, I confess this morning that I got places that I try to exclude you out of in my life. And we pray, Lord, that you'll break down walls this morning. That each of us will know what it's like to be filled with your Holy Spirit. That filled to the point that we can't take it anymore. I pray for those who've never said yes to you, Lord, that they would have that initial encounter this morning. I pray for those, Lord, who are, it was a long time ago. That we can pray this morning that they'd be filled up again. And I pray for those who are, feel poured out. This morning I had a picture, I was praying and I had this picture of this dry riverbed. But it was just dusty and there were rocks and there was just no water in sight. And I felt like the Lord said this morning, come and drink and you'll see the river of life again. So if you're in that place, if that's you, I just want to encourage you to come forward and just get prayer. It's not something that you have to come forward for. It's, you can do it your seat. But I just want to encourage you. There's something about partnering with people just like D.L. Moody did, praying with someone, letting, allowing someone to intercede with you that just affirms that God is moving. And so we just pray, Jesus, that you will move us to action. That as you fill us, Lord, we will go out in your name, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we thank you, Lord, that you're faithful and true, that you continue to give, you continue to pour out. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Y'all come as God leads you.